Hello, and welcome to the next in our series of Breakthrough Podcasts, where I'm delighted to introduce and to welcome John Kamara, who is sitting across from me in the studio. Um, I just wanted to do a little bit of an introduction, but I'm sure that John will be able to, more than able to introduce himself. Um, but John is one of Africa's leading experts on how businesses can leverage key technology. Um, which to instantly transform organizations and um, using competitive advantage to gain impact in industry sectors, including across all sectors, finance, agriculture, health, education, gaming, and of course, startup enterprises. What caught my eye listening to uh, another podcast that you've done, John, and I love this, was how you wanted to make agriculture sexy and um, how that you were hoping to get uh, young people interested in agriculture. And I know farming very well, and it's certainly not seen as sexy. So that kind of intrigued me. And I think is, is probably the kernel of what you're about. Young people using technology, how can you, you know, how can you really build on that? And as you say, to make Africa, to leap Africa forward, really. So um, without any more ado, I'm going to let you speak. I may well come back to some of your bio later on, but John, thank you for being here and welcome to our podcast. Thank you very much, Elaine. I'm happy to be here uh, and having me. Uh, John Kamara is my name. Um, and I guess I'm enthusiastic about everything African and I'm obsessed about the growth and the development of this continent. And I think um, I'm also very obsessed about the development of the youth in terms of creating equal opportunity with the global north uh, in regards to how we transform the next revolution in this continent. So, and that cuts across multiple sectors. So just one of the people who is passionate about doing their little bit to see how this continent can truly achieve its uh, potential for the next generation. Mm. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, I know, you know, we know the amount of kind of unemployment, particularly in the youth sector in, in Africa. So and your your thoughts and your kind of perhaps ability to really harness that in a way that's meaningful and delivers, as you say, delivers growth, but delivers opportunity <laughs> for, for that for those people. Um, so. Before we kind of get into that, John, I'd love you to tell us a little bit about your life and career. Just take us a little, a little walk through, if you would. Hmm. Um, well, I mean, I, as a young kid, I grew up in Africa, um, Nigeria. Um, moved to Ireland relatively late teens. Um, um, went to university briefly, never completed a career, so I don't have a degree to my name. It's just John. Um, <laughs> so, um, story for another day. Um, spent quite a lot of time in Ireland um, in my 20s, growing up, learning about the Celtic Tiger, learning about, uh, you know, learned how to code by myself um, and, and used that to get my first job. Uh, from there on, you know, uh, work for big corporates, you know, BMC Software. Google, Conduit, Yahoo, back in the late 90s, early 2000, in the whole revolution of uh, in Europe when we're talking about the, the next revolution of the 20s. Um, and, and just worked across the world. I was always obsessed with travel. 
So I've traveled pretty much every continent in the world. I've worked in every continent in the world as well. And I've got two kids, amazing kids, a daughter and a son, 16 and 14. Um, and uh, yeah, I, after that, I um, started, I became an entrepreneur about 2010. Mm -hmm. uh, started building my first company, learning a lot from a lot of the people that I'd worked with because I had been lucky to work with sort of like big companies who were at their early stage when I started my career. Most times uh, worked in gaming as well quite a bit um and that was also a very interesting industry um uh mm -hmm. and um became but always was technology and product focused and from there moved into more the business side of technology um so kind of like combine technology and business to sort of achieve now realistic commercial growth but um, always have like this idea to do impact things and things that would also sort of benefit other people without necessarily um, being for self, you know, our glory, myself. So um, then uh, built my first company, was lucky, had a, a bit of an exit, which is good. Uh, <laughs> built my second company, had a colossal failure. Um, so that was also good. Yeah, learned some great lessons there. Mm -hmm. And then uh, decided to move back to the continent um, around 2015, 2016. And um, kind of moved around for a while, was in West Africa, then moved to South Africa. Uh, so I lived in Cape Town for a bit, working, yeah. obviously been working in AI and blockchain from like 2014, 2013. So um, worked there, but also was trying to learn about the continent quite a bit. So, cause I never really worked in the continent. So I just needed some, um, I guess some personalized experience about the continent. So, um, and I think after those two years, um, then decided, okay, I think I'm ready to, to sort of go um, do what I'm doing now in 2020. Oh. COVID happened. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that exposure, as you said, I didn't actually realise that you'd spent so much time in Ireland because I'm actually sitting in Dublin at the moment and I've just come back from Joburg. So, um, yeah, and, and and Google was a big part of our lives. My, my husband also worked for Google a while ago. So there's some interesting connections there. But it, it's fascinating to me, John, that that gave you such a kind of, as you say, good, ex great exposure being exposed to Celtic Tiger as well and all that that brought and the lessons that learned that were learned then. And your, you know, your comment around, you know, business failure also being important in terms of the learnings. And I think sometimes, you know, these days we expect everything to be a success. Um, but often it's the best lessons, really, isn't it, that, that you can learn through some of the failure. And perhaps, although this is about your breakthrough, I'm sure that there's a kind of intertwine of that um, through this. Um, and, and what comes through so strongly for, for me with you is, is this strong sense of purpose, of wanting to kind of do something that's more long-lasting than you. Um, so I'm just thinking about your industry. I mean, we've seen... And, and we've tackled this in one of the other podcasts is about how difficult people find AI to understand. They get frightened by AI, by, get frightened by blockchain and some of those kind of technologies. Tell us a bit, will you, about your industry and, and how it, you know, obviously how it changes, but how it continues to change and what you think the impact of that could be. 
Um, I think obviously AI has been around for longer than most people understand, mm. but um, the the impact that it's having now is why we're all discussing it. But it was always going to have this impact. You know, technology evolves, 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 and then it gets to a space where, you know, so it was always going to have this impact. It was just the time. It was a timing thing. Mm-hmm. And somebody was going to do something like, you know, let's check ChatGPT, for example. It was going to happen either in that way or in another way. Uh, but it's always existed. It's just, you know, people assumed it to some futuristic idea. Yeah. It was in the future, you're watching in the movies, you hear someone talk about it, but it's not real, really, is it? You know, um, but bringing it back home to things around data, machine learning, those type of things uh, already existed in a lot of infrastructure, in a lot of, you know, organizations, you know, the likes of Google, uh, Facebook, they were already using machine learning. They were doing deep learning before ChatGPT came up. So it wasn't as if they, but they were using it for their, their own selves. So it, it wasn't, you know, from open source perspective, the way we have it today. So they have this technology as IPs. So for me, you know, also the the opportunity, but also what it allows you to do in problem solving was always what fascinated me about, you know, building, you know, artificial intelligence and building intelligent, you know, networks that could solve problems that, probably take me years to figure out, you know, and, and that's where my fascination always came with how does technology live in the real world with reality of situations rather than how does technology just become really amazing because mm. it can be amazing, but it doesn't solve any problem. Mm. And it could also, so it, it was a combination of both. How do you marry great technology with solving problems that affect people every day or changing behavioral patterns or, or creating new opportunities for people. But in that framework, then you have to figure out, well, how do I move people from where they are into this new you know, frame of mind? And then how do I protect people? And how do I also make sure that, you know, this thing that they're talking about today, they don't lose their jobs. How do I retrain them? So there's a lot of all these other nuances, which mm-hmm. is now happening. And also how do I make sure it doesn't get into the wrong hands? Because yeah. anything is as good as the person who's driving it. Right, right. So yeah. it not live by itself and stop doing stuff. Somebody has to be biased enough to want to make it do stuff. Right. <laughs> that, right. Point. Yes. that is what we're all, you know, scared of because, you know, there is that somebody somewhere who's, you know, conniving to want to use this technology for, you know, unethical things or things that are not, but we must not take away from the value that the technology is bringing to society as a whole. And, mm. and we, if we create a societal function that allows us to, you know, and I always say self-govern. If people can become self-governing entities, that means we all self-govern each other. We create a consensus network and that network just begins to allow us to checkmate ourselves rather mm. than, Governments, I mean, it's good, but uh, you, you'd, also, you'd always have problems with that eventually. So, so that's kind of like my, my journey into how I started looking at AI, you know, smart technology. And then obviously in Africa, when I moved back, it was more about, okay, where is this continent in regards to this technology? Because, you know, technology is the future, right? 
Yeah. But AI is the future of technology. So you, you, it's, you know, if you're saying technology is great, well, wait till you meet this thing that is actually the future of technology. So if you're not, if you don't understand where you're at, you're lost. So from a continental perspective, you know, I think I started getting really worried about where this continent was because we're already so far behind on so many mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. And now we're going to be so far behind on the most significant thing that would have happened in terms of changing human lifestyle over the, for the next hundred years. And we're right in the middle of it and we, we haven't figured out you know, our place, our position. And, and that has a lot of, you know, a lot of ramifications for us, which are not probably very good, you know, mm. but also you talked about U-turn employment. It also means you can't harness the opportunity of that to actually, you know, solve some of this unemployment, problem, create employment for people, create new industries, you know. So if you don't have those skills, you don't have the technical capacity, if you can't participate in that industry, then you lose it both ways. You yeah. lose because you can't use it for, you know, helping your society, but you also lose because you're completely gone. Mm-hmm. You know, every, everybody's moved far away from you. So you, you're just chasing. And this is not a race that you can chase and win. When they move ahead of you, you, you really, um, so a lot of those, you know, traditional norms that, oh, you know, whenever you start, you start, well, it doesn't work yet. It, uh, it doesn't work. Uh, so, so that is kind of like where a lot of my conversation has been around. How do you use in Africa? How do we think about AI for social and commercial good? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. I love that practical approach you've got, John. Um, I think that's you know we we often hear and everybody gets so carried away with all of this, but uh, but you've kind of you've distilled it really well, and. Um, I'm just wondering, you know, in relation to that, we've got a question around, and I'm throwing these at you. This is completely unprepared to the audience out that are listening out there. So well done you for kind of dealing with it. But but stop me if you if you feel you need to. Um, I'm just thinking around a particular breakthrough. Um, thinking about what is there a significant problem or something that you were trying to solve that sticks in your mind, an idea that you had. I mean, you've talked about about the kind of, you know, trying to level the playing field in some respects. But I'm wondering if there was something where you think, wow, that really did make a difference or I really learned something from that. Is there, is there something that sticks in your mind? I mean, there's two things that I'll speak to. One is healthcare. OK, I, I, I stumbled into healthcare <laughs> in 2019 uh, because I, I, you know, something happened story for another day, but I became obsessed with sovereignty of health data and also the opportunity inside the data to help us solve significant healthcare problems. But a human can't see that or can't understand those sets of data. You need need to build a machine learning or an intelligent engine that can process that information, figure out a lot of things that you can't do, and then begin to show you different patterns and different breakthroughs and different problems. So you, 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 you then start thinking, wow, if we could apply this to healthcare, 
Imagine how more people's lives we could save instead of, you know, focusing on treatment, we could focus on preventive healthcare because we can also understand patterns, we can understand, you know, connection of geography, we can understand connection of biodiversity to specific type of diseases, we can, you start taking all these different forms of external data because you have the health data. And you and you start really looking at wow okay look at all these changes why do people literally you know begin to have this type of diseases in a certain part of a country all of a sudden it's not all of a sudden it, mm -hmm. there are patterns that are existing within that set of data but nobody you know so because the way healthcare infrastructure you know data have been collected was just about you know people power hospitals with systems but they don't think about the data they don't think that the hospital is is a single node of truth right that is where mm. the source you can harness the micro data in that hospital you can learn so much more and you connect it to other forms of data you can learn so much more about the pattern of a disease, about how to treat people, about the pattern of medications, new type of medications you have to make. You can even solve pandemic problems before they start. All of a sudden, you're like, whoa, look at, so I started solving, you know, looking at, started building a health infrastructure that would focus around infrastructure layer for data for healthcare, and then using that infrastructure layer to help patients understand their own health ecosystem. Wow understand mm. my health better because my the patterns of my because you know one of the things that i also realized was i'm not a doctor but every disease is made up of symptoms right if you break it down if you're gonna suffer with diabetes i promise you five six years ago there's a bunch of symptoms that was happening but it's not in plain sight it takes a pattern recognition and it takes a combination of understanding those micro data and a lot of the different moving parts within your health ecosystem for someone to pick that out and say, well, look, at there is a change happening. What could it be? Then you start eliminating, then you start. So, and, and then, but all of a sudden you've got diabetes. You're like, well, but it, it didn't just happen. There's a, there's a sequence for everything. So, so that was one of the problems that I started using AI to solve in healthcare. And I'm, you know, I'm still solving this problem. My goal is to power patients with their own personalized AI health engine that would help understand your pattern, your symptoms, all the data around you, even begin to understand, you know, external data around you to even help you as you look at, you know, personalized vaccines for yourself, you know, okay, what does that look like for you? So, so that was one. The other thing then that I was doing was I started talking to a lot of organizations because they all was like, okay, well, we want to do AI. <laughs> okay. Yes, you do, but maybe not. <laughs> so, but, the thing that I then realized was that in the journey of trying to get to building AI solutions or machine learning, a lot of organizations didn't understand the fundamental foundations or instruments that you needed to understand. So most of what happened with you know, digital transformation, which was part of what we've been talking about, was people always talked about infrastructure. What are we going to build? What are we going to build? You know, we're going to build yeah. this technology. We're going to build this technology. Okay, but the point was that Technology itself doesn't exist in abstract. It exists within a specific situation. But there is something that makes that technology exist and makes it move. It's people. So instead of you know, people started running this IDP model where they would do infrastructure first, they'll think about the data, then the people are the last thing they think about. People should just... So I kind of switched the idea, which is now what I do for a lot of organizations moving into machine learning is you know, a PDI model, people first data second, then infrastructure, 
it's the last thing. So PDI, so shift from IDP to PDI, because that means that you're really able to get people to understand the connected nature of data. Agriculture data is connected to climate data, it's connected to biodiversity data, it's connected to human data, it's connected to healthcare data, and it can help you predict food security all of a sudden. Wow, yes, I love that, John. People data infrastructure, so kind of really switching it on its head. And also that whole thing around, you know, as individuals, we're all interested, of course, we want to know about our health. How could we be, be better for longer? How could we remain healthy for longer? So it's the individual, but it's also the collective, what that means, obviously, for economies and, you know, the way the healthcare is structured. So it's fascinating to think that actually, as you say, you know, these are these things that they might seem insignificant, but they can just build and the scalability of what you're talking about is kind of a bit mind blowing, really. But um, clearly, you're, you know, you've been able to see the opportunity there and harness that. Um, Sorry, I mean, I was saying that, I mean, you, you could save people's lives. You yeah. could literally, especially in emerging markets where the health infrastructure is not that good or not that mm -hmm. developed, you could use this data set to literally save people's lives and help them by preventing diseases and sicknesses before they happen or catching them really early. Yeah. And that yeah. is a whole idea. So there's this machine intelligence tool, these algorithms that you build off these data sets, you know, these AI models can then begin to help people. So again, this is what you need to do to live better. These are the symptoms that this in, you know, we're seeing around you. This is some of the things that are happening. Maybe then you, you know, then your doctors can do a much better job. They don't have to do all the mundane little things every day, which takes up so much of their time. So you're also helping them to really, you know, you're addressing the baseline level first. Yeah. And then each person, you know, imagine having your own personalized health AI engine that begins to understand you much wow. better. Yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty amazing, actually. So, so that's so interesting, John. And I'm just wondering, I mean, you obviously at the moment, the, the bulk of your work, tell me a little bit about where the bulk of your work sits at the moment. I mean, you, you've got that wonderful experience. I know that you work with a lot of startups. I know that you're a mentor. Um, I'm just wondering, you know, what, what kind of absorbs your day? What do you spend your day doing? Um, I spend my day trying to figure out how I can create more jobs in this continent. Right. That's what I spend my day a lot doing. How can I create more jobs? How I can make sure that new technology, especially AI technology is becoming, it's, it's inclusive for African youths and then mm -hmm. how I can help businesses grow. Um, so, so, so problem solving in those spaces. So it, it could be healthcare. So industry sector doesn't really matter anymore. So you kind of remove the sector. You focus on the, you know, the primary objective, which is how do we create more jobs? So that's what consumes my mind every day, you know, because you travel from Ghana to Mali to wherever in the continent, unemployment, youth yeah. unemployment. So all the instabilities that you're seeing, all the coups, all these things that you're seeing is because young people do not have sustainable and dignified income. Mm. Mm. If, so anything we're talking about doesn't really matter. Yeah. If they yeah. don't have sustainable, if, if over 70% who make up the population of the continent don't have sustainable, dignified, reoccurring income that they can build on, 
then you know you you can sit around all the round tables you want in the world. It's, it's the same thing will keep happening. So, but to also do that, you have to actually ask a question. So, you're going to have to help to build some businesses that can hire people back to Ireland. Build a lot of small businesses. Yes, so, yes. I time across different sectors, from healthcare to agriculture to building startups, trying to figure out how I can do that a little bit better in my own little way. Mm, mm. Okay. And, and are, you, are you talking just in the continent of Africa, mainly? Is that what can, most of your time is spent rather than internationally at the moment? That's, I am here 24-7. Here. Here 24/7. <laughs> I'm back and this is, this is my life's mission. Okay. It's what's left. All right. So anybody on this call can listen and perhaps they want to put their hand up also to support you on this, John. I think it's a fantastic cause. I really do. Um, I'm just thinking you obviously, you know, you've got a, you're, you, you cover a huge amount of ground. And I'm just wondering if there's a new behavior or a habit that you think has in most improved your life and work. If you can think of something that's kind of been a bit of a game changer for you. What's that been in terms of, yeah, behavior or habit that you've built? I think just listening more to people. I, I listen a lot now. That's a, it's a huge behavioral change. Before I like to say things, or, but I listen a lot. And I, I, um, I think that's very instrumental in any decision that I make going forward. Uh, mm. And I also just try to engage um, people with opinions that are not, you know, sort of like what you call centralized opinions, just to see how people would think outside the box and see, you know, you, you hit them with some, you know, other types of opinion and, and see how they would, it, it's not a question of right or wrong. So I don't worry too much about right or wrong anymore. That's also another pattern. Right or wrong, it's more about how do people think once right. you can understand how they think then you can say okay let us see what is right because um we realize that trying to prove right or wrong means you're consistently in collision with yeah. people yes. i'm right you're wrong i'm right you're wrong you're, you're wrong i'm right but okay let's see how we think and maybe together we can agree what is right so those have been some of the things that i've you know my pattern my behavior has sort of like changed into those things and i um I think finally, I, I I really don't worry much about what people think about me anymore. <laughs> Maybe that's an age thing, John. The listening and the, and, and the not caring so much. <laughs> yeah, so just just do. Yeah, yeah. I, I that's I really that's really hit me actually. That that whole thing around not right or wrong, but rather a pattern of people's behavior, thinking or behavior. Rather, you know, because how do you, as you say, it becomes very difficult to find a way through when you're just at loggerheads. But if you can kind of broaden it and create more of a understanding and also, you know, as you say, manage to kind of create more an opportunity for more ideas rather than it narrowing down into that. Yes, no, I'm right. You're wrong. I think that's a really interesting way of looking at it. So um, thank, thank, thank you for that. You will still get what you're right or wrong, but you've just helped the person understand that they could also be right. Yes. But think a bit differently. And then maybe I'm wrong. Who knows? Mm -hmm. By the time we express this form of thinking and being be willing to accept when you're wrong, when you see the broader thinking as well, not say, well, because I think I know better, I should be right. No. 
Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe my thought process in the process of this was actually wrong. So really, it's, I believe, and I might be wrong, again, that most human beings do not have the capacity to be absolutely objective in their reasoning. Mm -hmm. Most human beings are extremely subjective to whatever situation, even to their objectivity, they're subjective to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fascinating. I think you're probably right there. So <laughs> it's an interesting, that's a very interesting way of looking at things. You flipped it on its head, really. Um, in a long kind of similar theme, in terms of when you look forward, what do you think is coming next, John? <sighs> I I've, think put you on the spot. I've put you on the spot. Sorry. <laughs> I think the age of artificial intelligence is here, is upon us. Right. And there's a lot of theories. There's a lot of theses. There's a lot of things we, you know, the, the interesting thing is people say, well, you know, this form of AI, it's another 100 years away. <laughs> mm. You just figure out that 100 years will be condensed into 10 years and we will create things again that, you know, so I really, really believe that the age of, we don't know what's about to hit us. That's what I see about the future in front of us. The age of artificial intelligence is upon us and how it would play out, the ways it would play out, I have no idea. Um, I have my own research that I'm conducting around AGI, you know, artificial general intelligence, what could that look like around the world? Um, what could be the spur of that? You know, what is the first brain network? Yeah. Um, how combine all these different layers of AI that people are building in silos, what if it connected at some point, uh, what would happen? You know, if you're building all this intelligence on chat GPT, somebody's building emotional AI, somebody's building robotics, somebody's building hardware infrastructure that connects to AI, who knows? But the fact that so many development in this space is happening, even mm. in silos, there is the theory of connectivity, the data mm. connectivity, who knows? Yeah. So I'm, I'm, um, I, I, that's what I see ahead of us, but I don't know the answer. Yeah, no, that's the, the whole thought that this is just, it's happening in silos. And I think it was, I was at the Dublin tech startup um, a couple of years ago, and somebody was talking about how they were training the robot to actually think like a human, which kind of blew my mind at the time. But now you're, what you're saying is, you know, in, if you can bring those silos together, the opportunities there, of collectively, of the, this kind of collective theme all the time. Um, but in the hands of who, though? Pardon? In whose hands? In whose hands? Yeah. That's a critical that piece is, of thinking. Is, yeah, right. yeah. Okay. Well, let's. I know AI for good is is your business, so let's yeah. hope it is AI for good. We'll we'll sing to that hymn sheet, John. Um, Absolutely. I'm just thinking, where can listeners find you? I've had actually a lot of interest in, in the podcast, and I think we might even have some live listeners. Um, so where can they find you? If they want to learn more about you, want to support you, want to see what you're up to, how can they find you, John? So I have uh, the AI Center of Excellence in Nairobi in South Africa, which is www.aiceafrica.com. Uh, Right. Then also uh, my, my technology studio, which is Adenian Labs, uh, where we build a state of mind for human beings, um, which is A-D-A-N-I-A-N-L-A-B-S dot I-O. 
um, yeah, those are the two places you can find me or you can run into me at any conference in Europe. <laughs> I'll be in Denmark, I'll be in Brussels, I'll be in London, I'm, uh, I'm in Norway. So all the AI conferences across Europe, I will be doing the same one conversation that I do all the time. How do we build inclusive AI for Africa? Right. Lovely. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll put those websites. We'll make sure they go in the notes so that people can easily access you when we when we put this up. Um, but that's fantastic and uh, lovely to hear that you're taking the world stage. So you're not just limiting it to Africa. At least other opportunities to see you in other continents do exist. Um, any final thoughts before I come to our last little question? Um. I think my, my, my final thoughts are around the, um, the need for Africa to be given not the, how do I put this word, the educational support it needs to be able to thrive on its own. Mm. That's mm. really, you know, to be given the education and support for the young, for the youth. And to be, you know, that education for the youth, the support, the skills for the youth in this new world, to be able to thrive and, and connect with the world at, at, at that global stage. Uh, that's where, yeah, I, I, I feel there's still a lot of work to do. Yeah, yeah. So education, 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 really. Education yeah. Yeah. is the a, a first state of freedom. Yeah, yeah, no, very true. Okay, so a bit of a fun question before we go, John. You, you like to travel, you're very well-traveled. If we were to put you on a desert island, there's got to be what you can take one thing with you, but it can't be a phone and it can't be your spouse. <laughs> so what would it be? What would you like to take with you on that desert island, do you think? <laughs> How would I take on the desert island a book? A book? Any yes. specific book? Not really. Different genres of book, depending on how I feel, but it would have to be a book. Okay. And just to read on the island. <laughs> read on the island. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you so much, John, for sharing so much. Really, I mean, lovely, lovely, lovely chat with you today. And we are going to revisit it because I want to know why no degree? That was one story you didn't tell me. And there was a second story as well. So something else that you didn't Oh, It was about, oh yes, it was about the startup, the startup that didn't work. So we're going to come back to that and we'll have no a series. Problem. But um, really, thank you so much for your time today. I know you're a busy man, so I really appreciate it. And it's lovely to meet you. And we will connect again soon. No problem. And I'll be back home in Dublin soon. Will you? Oh, well, we'll definitely meet up, John. You must tell me when you're coming. We'd love, to, we'd love to meet up and I'll see if I can bring a following to support you. <laughs> no problem. Thank you very much. All right. Take care then. Bye-bye. Bye. Yeah, Andrew, bye-bye. <laughs>